Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. I'm so sorry. That was a big <clears throat> misjudgment on my part. You nearly gave me a heart Well, I thought you were shy. What? You see, I thought you were shy because you didn't reply to my text, and I thought maybe you wanted something to happen between us, but you were being all English about it. Sorry, I, I, I didn't reply to your text, so you thought you'd break into my hotel room? Didn't break in. Attack me in the shower? I didn't attack you in the shower. I gave you a little wave. Did you not see my wee wave? It was... What? Anyway, if you didn't want me to come up, why did you tell me what room you were staying in? Well... Because I wanted to brag about staying in room number one. I didn't expect you to show up. Why do you care about the number of the room? Because it's the presidential suite. Bill Clinton slept here. Look, anyway, how did you get in? Oh, the cleaner was leaving when I arrived, so I just... Jesus Christ. Look, I'm sorry. I only meant to knock on your door. I never intended to drink your champagne and eat your chocolates. You drank my champagne? Only most of it. Where are you going? Home. Well, don't just go. You don't seem happy to see me. No, I am. Do you want to go for a drink? Do you want to get dressed? That's The Lovers. You can stream all the episodes on Now TV and Sky Atlantic. James Dempsey joins us uh, once again. This is kind of like romantic comedy stuff, which I suppose is... uh, you could anticipate a lot of what might be in this. <laughs> yes, although I would say if anyone was anticipating the meet cute, which is like the you know the industry term for how two romantic comedy pairings, you know how mm. how they meet up, they're meet cute. If anyone was predicting how this pair were going to meet up, I am very impressed because <laughs> it is quite surprising, and I won't spoil it because okay, I mean not surprising in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they pulled it off personally, um, but it certainly uh, caught my attention, put it that way. Um, so, yeah, it is definitely like it, it is part of the TV canon of rom-coms. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago I spoke about um, Starstruck, the Rose Matafea one, which I really, really liked. And I came back for a third season that I'm also really enjoying. And I had high hopes for this because I really liked the trailer. I thought the trailer looked very, very positive. It stars Roisin Gallagher, who was previously seen um, in the show uh, The Dry which mm. was about a recovering alcoholic uh, back in our family of kind of with their own drinking problems shall we say um, that was very very well received here and that I reviewed positively liked it uh, on this very slot and also uh, Johnny Flynn who's kind of like a bit of a journeyman actor at this point he's a I think he's a distant bro- distant half brother of sorts of uh, of um, <laughs> of Jerome Flynn of of you know the uh, the this crooner of the nineties type who went right. who then went on to Game of Thrones yeah. and this is shot in Belfast so a tenuous link but I pulled mm. it back yeah <laughs> and um, so I had my I had high hopes going in now it's all written by a guy named David Arland who is a, a Northern Irish playwright in and of his uh, of his own right um, he wrote Cypress Avenue which was a, like an award winning play um, won the Irish Times Best Play Award in 2017 and he has written for Derry Girls and also for Still Game and Shetland. And this, I think, kind of very much speaks to the fact that he's a playwright. So we have these this pair, Janet and Seamus. Seamus is a kind of Andrew Marr-esque type UK okay. guy. He's like a political radio person who's now branching out into television and uh, because of regional budgeting, you know, pushing for regionalism, they decide to relocate uh, his show to Belfast. And while filming a link that goes awry, he ends up running in to Janet, who is a disgruntled um, 
hard hard on hard on her luck supermarket employee who's quick to curse and uh, you know and and stand up to everyone mm. but does she have a heart of gold in there somewhere she just might <laughs> right and the pair meet up and have an unusual uh, very unusual meet cute that is then followed by a kind of tepid romance and the reason why I say tepid is because Certainly, uh, at the beginning of the six-run episode, uh, Seamus has still got a girlfriend back home, yeah. right? So she's uh, Frankie, played by Alice Eve. And aside from, I guess, uh, their sex life not being perhaps uh, as satisfying to either of them as they would like it to be, it seems that otherwise their relationship is in a pretty good state. Yeah. So the kind of drama that is injected into this rom-com is, you know, will they, won't they, because he's already in a relationship, and then if they do, what does that mean, etc., etc. Now, all this plays out across six half-hour episodes, and as many, as long-time <laughs> listeners to this lot would know, that is my all-time favourite. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Um, but I would, I'm going to go out on a, a limb here and say, I am nothing if not occasionally contrarian because this is a rare instance where I actually think it's it, there's not enough, right? There's ah. like as in uh, the 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 story is not fleshed out well enough at all because of the brief runtime. Also, because David Arland is a playwright, a lot of the series is dedicated to these kind of two hander scenes. Uh, you know, in fact, there's one episode where there's only one other. You know, there's a handful of episodes where like they're the only characters in the whole thing. So it's this very dialogue driven, you know, uh, tennis match back and forth, back and forth of 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 what are meant to be zinging lines of dialogue, but which for me fell at times a little flat. Ultimately, I would say my issue with this is after finishing the whole thing, I couldn't tell you who these characters are. For instance, in the very first episode, right, we get uh, Seamus presented as this suave, urbane, obnoxious broadcaster. A Sean Moncrief type. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if you will, yeah. right? <laughs> and, um, and like, you know, he's 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 juicing in the morning and getting up and pl- uh, corrected. I don't know what you do, right? It's more and more <laughs> like right? Me, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> he's collected by uh, like a chauffeur, chauffeur and he, you know, he uh, uh, this woman meets him on his way into the building and he thinks she's a fan, so he takes a selfie, but she later turns out to be his producer. <laughs> and he's, he's presented as this, you know, completely uh, career-driven, guy and like you're seeing photos of all these famous interviews he's done and then he lands in Belfast basically in the next scene where he has where he is seemingly useless I mean like he is uh, he's like a bad presenter he doesn't know like his he's ham fisted and like histrionic in his description of the troubles so much so that he ends up like uh, disgruntling some disgruntlable people over Mm. over in the corner right so like and and then throughout the show it's kind of like he's nervous about his show but then we don't really get an awful lot of the show and it's just kind of like who are you right and whatever about who, who, who he is uh, who Janet is is even less, right? So we get a few scenes of her in her uh, supermarket where she's like not employee of the month, put it that way, right? Um, she's like, you know, I like it, it. It's it's now such a well worn thing to say, but like this is you know, <laughs> like the, is this flea baggy? It is a little flea baggy in that she's like, well, you know, Eve, everything yeah. is flea baggy. So I'm kind of reluctant to say it, but like she's you know hard talking. She's uh, there's some there's a checkered past there. There's a something going on with her her estranged husband, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's not fleshed out, or it's not interest like or or if it is fleshed out, I guess I lost interest in how they were fleshing it out. Oh, and yeah. and this is 
absolutely fine, right? But it's not good enough. Like it kind of promised more than it delivered. And for a romance, you know, I don't really understand like why they're looking for each other based on how they meet and certainly his his lifestyle, right? Like there's there just doesn't seem to be enough of a spark between them for me to carry it over in a, in a way that like, you know, Starstruck, which is about this kind of uh, at a loss Kiwi immigrant meeting mm. a, a growing UK like star, Hollywood star, like their star-crossed love affair made an awful lot more sense because they they kind of seem to like each other, yeah. <laughs> right? Whereas here, they only seem to like each other because they tell me so. You know, I don't really feel it, if you get me. Yeah, and, and the way that Belfast is depicted and yeah. the way, well, you did mention he, he says something about the Troubles. Mm. Is that referred to at all or is yeah. it just like a, a city where stuff happens? So definitely, right, there's definitely reference to the Troubles. There's jokes at, uh, you know, there's jokes at everybody's expense, shall yeah. we say, in, in a couple of the episodes. And there are uh, definitely references to religion, but it, the the show goes out of its way to try and paint, paint Belfast as more than just the troubled city, right? Mm. I mean, you know, it, it you see them in restaurants, you see them walking down the down beautifully lit streets where there's not a mural in sight, right? Yeah. So like it, this is, it, it presents Belfast as more than, but you can't present it as less than either, if you get me right. Yes, like, as of in, you have to you have to mention it if it's a show about a political broadcaster in the north yeah, of Ireland. True. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Right. Okay. That's oh, I was kind of had uh, I had higher hopes for that. Likewise. Yeah. Uh, uh, unfortunately. Right. Our next show is called Wanted: The Hunt for Carlos Gowen. You can stream the entire series, a docu series, on Apple TV Plus. Here's a clip. They said no phone calls, no letters. If you communicate, Carlos goes back to jail. They realized how much we depended on each other. They figured out that he got a lot of strength from me. They wanted to break him through me. It was their, you know, the next way of breaking him. I asked my lawyer, I have four charges. Is the prosecutor going to treat them simultaneously? And he said, no, the trials are going to be successive. I said, oh my God, this is going to take seven years, eight years of trial. I was 65 years old, without my wife, without my children. It was impossible for me to bear. I couldn't stand any chance of a fair trial. So I made a decision. Okay, so I have to leave. Now, I suppose, James, people would remember this guy because there was a weird kind of escape (laughs) scenario and it wasn't clear how he did it. So I had never heard of this guy, right? And like, I can only put that down to the fact that I spend an awful lot of time watching television and I have absolutely no interest in cars at all, right? So Carlos Ghosn is a French, Lebanese, Brazilian um, CEO. And when he was ultimately arrested in Japan, he was both the CEO of Renault the French car company and Nissan, the Japanese car company. Uh, And he, like, basically he is known in the motoring industry as le costcutter, right? So you you bring him in (laughs) when you want him to fire everyone. right, okay. And he does that and miraculously your profits go way up because you don't pay anybody anything anymore. And uh, look, I mean, credit where credit is due. He turned around Renault in the 90s or 2000s when they were going through a terrible period and he is seen as the, like, the first, he is the driving force behind that. And uh, Renault saw an opportunity with Nissan, which was failing in Japan. 
They, he went over, he became CEO of Nissan, and he did turn its fate around, but like at great cost to its employees, yeah. right? So uh, then ultimately, at one point, as you find out in this four-part doc- documentary, he gets arrested in Japan. And essentially, it's this very um, strange reason why he's arrested, or certainly the documentary doesn't make it any more opaque anyway. It's something to do with um, money that he is not receiving, yeah. <laughs> right? So it's that when he, you know, during the financial crisis, he took a pay cut, he, he took half his wages away, but where did those wages go? Kind of thing, okay. right? And he's arrested in Japan, and um, I do, like, so uh, there's, there's a, a very, there's, I had read a book once about a murder case in Japan and how how unusual the Japanese legal system is. And basically, in Japan, they have a really, really high success rate of conviction because the prisons are so terrible that people just tend to admit they did the crime. Yeah. And if you do not admit, if you won't admit guilt, they will stretch out the court case for such a long period of time that you might eventually just do so, right? Yeah, okay. Please, Japanese embassy, don't at me. Yeah, <laughs> right? okay. Don't commit crimes in <laughs> yeah, Japan. Right. And, and don't extradite me there yeah. either, right? So anyway, so Carlos Ghosn is arrested and he is... Uh, other people in, you know, Nissan and uh, Renault, etc. are also arrested and there's a whole web of conspiracy going on. And he claims he is unable to get a fair trial. And in doing... And, and after being on bail and under house arrest and... The conditions of that are even extremely stringent. Mm. He decides the only thing to do is flee. And this happened sort of just before the pandemic. So if you missed it, it might have been because there ultimately was a bigger news yeah. story after that, right? But wasn't there a whole thing he was in a box yes. or some, some weird so way he, they got him out? And, and look, this is not a spoiler because, yeah. like, I mean, it's in the public yeah. knowledge, right? But yes, essentially, a, fr- a friend, I'm using some very big uh, inverted Airport, commas sir, here, yeah. um, a friend of his wife's cousin in yeah. Lebanon is a former US Green Beret who decides he, who, who hatches this as he says the ingenious thing about the plan was that it was so simple and what he does is he flies into Japan with a big box which is for music you know like the, you would see at a concert that yeah. kind of black on, on coasters mm. box and essentially <laughs> they put Carlos in it and they put him on a plane and then they fly away to Lebanon now in the first three, two episodes of four this is quite a slow-moving documentary because yeah. it's telling us who Carlos is without and, and sort of about the Byzantine nature of the crime, which after four episodes, I still don't really understand, okay. right? But when it gets to the last two, it becomes incredibly exciting because you have this heist movie-type situation going on. And I mean... I, I think David Suchet has passed away by now, but if he had been alive, he was born to play like Carlos Ghosn because yeah. he even just looks very physically like him, being pushed around in a little wooden box, yeah. right? Um, and then fleeing to Lebanon. But where it gets really partic- where it gets really juicy is in episode four. So Carlos is now in Lebanon, unable to leave because if he leaves, he might be extradited back yeah. to Japan. And here's the thing, right? You're watching this show the whole time, and I'm going. Now he can't be that nice. <laughs> like, and look, you know, I don't think anyone becomes a CEO of a billion-dollar company without being ruthless somehow, yeah, right? I just yeah. don't think that's possible. And this guy already fired thousands of people, so mm. you know, he's like, he's not great, yeah. right? Whether and he's lavish, and I mean, 
this could like it has a it, it, there's an enjoyable you know there's an enjoyment to be had here of watching a CEO a CEO billion dollar CEO guy suffering a little bit when you kind of think he might deserve it a little bit but certainly there's there's just varying degrees of of who whose side to be on here because the description of the prisons in Japan is really bleak yeah, and like yeah. you, you, nobody would want to go through that but he doesn't seem squeaky clean either and he isn't and in the fourth episode they lay clearer and clearer his sort of side right or like or what's going on in the background or what we don't know all the questions that you've been waiting for them to ask they finally ask in the final episode and when it finally brings up a title card at the very end the last line pretty much took my breath away <laughs> okay don't tell us what that is obviously no. alright no that, that that does sound fantastic right uh, our third show is Born Too Soon it's on Tuesdays at 9pm on Virgin Media 1 or you can catch up in the Virgin Media Player here's a clip in a perfect world, Diane would still be in the womb. Every day, Marcelina feels the loss of that intimate connection. Nobody likes to see alarms going off when it's their baby. We try and explain and have them understand that, you know, it's just the exertion of the handling for their baby is what's causing their blood oxygen level to drop or their heart rate to drop and that once their baby stabilises themselves again it will come up but when you're seeing flashing alarms it just increases the stress levels Though she longs to hold her Marcelina knows the safest place for Diane right now is inside her incubator Right, so I, I mean I was going to say this is like shooting fish in a barrel, which yeah. is entirely the wrong phrase to use. But no, I get you. But like, it's totally cute. It's yeah. got the feels. It's you know, it's and and drama, yeah. right? And like, it's it isn't anything we haven't seen before either. That's kind of how I would open this. So it comes from a director named Sarah Brophy, who has made a number of kind of documentaries. I guess the biggest ones being Conor McGregor, Notorious, and Vogue Williams Investigates. And this is a handsomely made addition to the canon of a show that just is inherently interesting no matter what like no matter how you do it it's always yeah, going to be interesting yeah. because it is about a neonatal unit this time around in Cork University Hospital and what I really enjoyed about watching this is so I you know I'm, I'm marrying a doctor and I absolutely love him and I've gotten to know many many doctors since meeting him and many of them are not very good storytellers yeah. and that's not to say that they don't have good stories no they always yeah. have amazing yeah. stories and yeah. shout out particularly to his friend Mary who is an obstetrician whose stories are the most interesting so I was absolutely ready for this it's that doctors and medical professionals in general are um, often unable to kind of divorce their storytelling from the brutal language of medicine, right? Yes, in the sense yeah. that they tell it in a way that is loaded with medical jargon that even even a, a wag like myself yeah. doesn't understand, yeah. right? Yeah. Or, or, or I nod and pretend to. Yeah. And what I think they have done exceptionally well here is actually getting, fleshing out the doctors as much as the patients, right? So you have, of course, these really harrowing stories of neonatal, you know, infants who are tiny, you know, and there are tubes galore and they're in, you know, they're in contraptions and it's all incredibly dramatic. And you have at their bedside, unable to touch them, as it, yes, you know, to make it yes. even more difficult, mothers who have just given birth themselves, often in the hospital by alone, uh, alone because their partners are unable to be beside them because they have to work in order to keep 
you know, food on the table or supporting their other children. And it is inherently dramatic, right? Mm. And like moving. Mm. And then they bring in the medical professionals who do a really warm job at explaining what they're doing, right? And then they tell us who they are. So, like, I, I was quite interested to see that at one point they have this nurse who's who who is who whose position, which is a medical jargon term I can't remember, but like something to do with like <laughs> something to do with patients yeah. right? <laughs> and babies and outreach or something like. That. I'm sorry, I can't remember her yeah. title. But but then they just follow her into her outside life, and she's getting on a boat and she's going scuba diving around like and she had dived to the Lusitania or something right wow. and it was just really really interesting to see her talking about her life beyond the hospital mm. because normally these shows are just focused on that Yeah. so I thought that this was a very well executed version of this kind of show it is not necessarily nothing you've never seen before if you've seen like any neonatal show I guess what has changed is the technology and probably the prospects of the mm. babies right yeah. and what they can do for these these people who come into life with a hard, you know, with a challenge ahead of them, but many of whom succeed. And I and it was moving and well-made and I really liked it. <laughs> was this a one-off or is no, this a series? No, 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 there's more to come. There's a series. Great, there's more of those to come. Right, those three shows today are The Lovers. You can stream all the episodes on Now TV and Sky Atlantic. Wanted the Hunt for Carlos Ghosn. You can stream the entire docuseries on Apple TV Plus and Born Too Soon. That's on every Tuesday at 9pm on Virgin Media One or you can catch up on the Virgin Media Player. James Dempsey, thanks a million. Thank you. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm. With Anna Glaze. On News Talk.